One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS Assessing Your Process podcast. I'm your host, B Fritz12, on DraftKings, on Twitter, and in OWS Discord. I'm Ben. Thanks for coming to hang out. How are you? How has your holiday season been? It is the new year. We've got football regular season coming to an end, transitioning into playoffs, lots of exciting things. I was not here on this podcast last week, so I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season, uh, Christmas if you celebrate. Hopefully you're getting excited about the new year and uh, new possibilities for you and hopefully for us as a collective as well. I'm feeling really good about where we're at here in the season and some of the stuff that I want to talk about today. Today's going to be a little bit more of a lineup review heavy assessing process podcast. Um, I've done a little bit more high level strategy and things like that over the past handful of weeks, past month or so, I guess. But I'm excited to kind of dive into some lineups and talk about some lineups. Um, I had a couple that I ran this weekend. I had kind of a main single entry lineup, and then I had a secondary one because obviously we had a massive slate of games. So I kind of wanted to um, hedge a little bit, but it was also even just I liked how a couple spots set up. And so I wanted to build around some different scenarios. So I'm going to be going through those two lineups. And before we even get to that, just kind of I've been talking a lot this season about the like playing to your strengths, knowing what kind of player you are, knowing what you are good at and not so good at, and letting your play and your results speak for themselves over time. Obviously, that's hard with a small sample size. That's hard on a week-to-week basis. But once you've started to play DFS for a few years, you do start to get a little bit of a data set to work with. There's always going to be variance in NFL, and so that can still be kind of difficult to tell. But in general, you should start to have an idea. And so the reason I bring this up is that for me, as I mentioned before, I am strong on short slates and in showdowns. I play main slate. I put the majority of my bankroll towards main slate, like most DFS players probably do. But this is something that I'm really heavily questioning coming into the end of the year. I've vocalized this on this podcast, really wanting to play around with this a little bit for myself. But I really am getting a lot of data points to kind of lean towards this and Again, I will mention that in the over the course of a 
you know, one NFL season. It can be really difficult. If you guys have been with me all season here, you know that my first half of the year was the worst, you know, eight or nine weeks that I've strung together um, in my time playing DFS uh, in the past five or six years, but especially in the past few years when I've been playing more seriously. So that is something that's been you know, it feels very relevant, right? Like whenever we are faced with something in our lives and it is happening right now and we are in the midst of it, it's always going to feel, uh, it's going to be more heavily weighted than if we were to zoom out and see the bigger picture or the, our full history with something. And so I do want to, acknowledge that first and foremost for myself as I'm kind of outwardly reflecting here and as I've done a little bit of my own I do have you know I have shown results on main slate but I just seem to do it a bit more consistently in short slates and showdown and I've talked about this before a little bit more at length but essentially that is I believe because I really understand how to think through a given game in a really uh, realistic manner in a way that I understand how a game can play out uh, and how what the next most likely scenario might be to what the field is expecting or simply, you know, on a three game slate just playing the best players. So that is something that I am good at as an individual, but likely you are too. If you are here with us at OWS, because this is what you are taught here. (laughs) It is to think through these things on a deeper, more critical level, as opposed to just knowing who the good plays are. So I say all that because I kind of wanted to serve up a win that I didn't get to share um, recently because I took last week off. Otherwise, I would have shared because it was the Thursday game going into that Christmas slate. And that game was the uh, we've got the Titans and Niners. So I also want to paint the picture to that the way that I made these lineups is actually quite similar to the way that I made my uh, hundo winning lineup the prior week. So if you listen to that podcast, I essentially talked about how I wasn't even going to play that week because it was that first week where the COVID list was just like, you know, it was just crazy long and I didn't even feel like it was worth wading through all that and I just felt like my energy would be better conserved or put elsewhere Uh, and I ended up threw together the lineup in half an hour on a Friday night and I immediately liked it I didn't feel the need to play around with it and I threw it in and winner winner Uh, so that was you know I talked about that on the podcast I talked about what all went into that and everything, how that was kind of strange, but maybe not so strange based on the time of year and accumulated knowledge in those things. But I made this showdown lineup in a very similar way. 
I was literally in my car I had stopped in a parking lot for a few minutes, wasn't quite sure if I was going to be able to get lineups in or not. And I was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do this before I get home. And I, again, just kind of, I hadn't thought about anything. I hadn't read Zandamir's piece, like none of that. I've just kind of, based on what I knew, based on what I know about these teams, I just kind of jumped in and built this thing on the fly. And I'm mentioning that not to say you should do that, or to say, oh, look at me, I can just build a lineup and I can win because neither of those things are very helpful. But it is to it is to illustrate that sometimes more work isn't always better. And that's something that I'm really leaning into at the end of the year here. I've done you know, the process that I had had in place last year was really intensive. And I know a lot of you have expressed this and we've talked about this in previous podcasts as well. You guys have lives, right? Where a lot of you have families uh, or you're in school and you're studying like you don't have, you can't treat this as a full part-time job. And that's kind of what I was doing last year. And while I had some results to show for it, it's it's just something that I've cut. I've trimmed a lot of the fat this year and a lot of my earlier performances this year, I kind of chalked up due to variance. There were mistakes in there, but for the most part, I just wasn't going to win in the first half of the year this year. And I, ch- I changed my process during that time, but especially afterwards, I've trimmed down even more and that's been really, really interesting. And so again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the way you should build, uh, just throw lineups together half hour before game time. Uh, but it is something to consider. Try it out, especially with lower dollar contests on short slates or showdowns where you haven't put research in. So more concisely, the reason I'm sharing this is I know that for myself in the past and for a lot of you, we have this under this kind of preconceived notion that if I have not studied for the test, if I have not done a lot of research, I shouldn't play the slate. And I think at least in late season, that simply isn't true because if you are doing the work, you are showing up and thinking critically each week, you are reading the NFL edge, you are gaining knowledge on these teams and their coaches and how they like to play and their tendencies and you're doing your assessment of your play every week, which you clearly are if you are here listening right now, you have all of this that's already stored there. And so you don't necessarily need to do hours of research for every slate. So just kind of want to throw that out there. Now, to get to the lineup, just because... uh, it was kind of interesting. This game, we had Debo Samuel. Obviously, he was, I forget if that was the, the week he was back from injury or maybe a couple of weeks back from injury. And then we had A.J. Brown on the other side of the ball. I believe Julio was not playing. And so the way that I set this lineup up was I played A.J. Brown at captain and then went Debo, Jeff Wilson, Robbie Gold coming back, 
on the other side of the ball and paired Ryan Tannehill and Randy Bullock with A.J. Brown from the Tennessee side of the ball. And the reason that I did this is because I figured most people would be playing Debo in the captain spot. So with A.J. Brown being quite a bit cheaper and I figured he had just as high of a ceiling, if not higher almost, because he was really going to be the only guy in the Tennessee offense that was likely to see targets, which in fact was the case. I think he saw 17 targets in that game and the next closest guy saw three. So that analysis of mine was correct. It ended up playing out. So yeah, he played AJ Brown in the captain spot. He had a huge game. Debo had a big game as well. Uh, And then, yeah, Jeff Wilson was another play that I really liked. Figured uh, a lot of people would not be super pumped to play him against this Tennessee defense, but I just figured that Debo and Jeff Wilson with Eli Mitchell out that week were going to be the engine of the offense, and I just didn't see Garoppolo doing a whole lot. So anyways, that lineup ended up being good for, well, it was good for first place in a 356 entry field until they changed the stat at the end. And any of you who uh, had played that slate know what I'm talking about, Uh, but they, they had it set and I had checked my phone and I was like, oh shit, I won. I was on the couch with my wife and I showed it to her and um, you know, she's like, cool, really exciting. Didn't care. Uh, and I saw something, I think I went into discord and I saw somebody mention something about a, a, a stat change. And so I went back and looked and sure enough, I had dropped to third place. <laughs> um, I think Debo got an extra point. Garoppolo got, uh, an extra point or something like that. And so, it was enough to drop me from first to third. And um, my ROI went from like seven times to like seven X to or sorry, from like 16 X to seven X or something like that. So pretty brutal. Uh, I wasn't playing a ton of money, so I can't even imagine how brutal those stat changes are for people that you know lost a million on it or uh, have a, uh, a ton on the line, but, but yeah, so I had a, was a first place down to a third place out of a field of 356. And then I had even thrown in to the daily dollar, the field of almost 12 K there and ended up finishing 43rd. I think I was like 13th or something in that before I dropped. Um, so Yeah, so really fun to see those sharing this uh, a little bit to just kind of walk through the lineup, but also to share some wins because I didn't get to earlier this year. But also, as I said, really even more so to just kind of highlight the fact that sometimes these wins are going to come when you don't expect it. And like this, you know, I think I threw in a total of, oh, it was like, $16 or something like that. And 
um, yeah, like I said, made a few hundred bucks on it. So something to keep in mind, play those short slates, play those showdowns. Even if you are not playing a large percentage of your bankroll, it just, you never know when you're going to hit for one, but it always, always helps to be thinking through games. And I think even doing that on the fly like that, give yourself half an hour, don't spend a ton of time, just see what you put together. And sometimes in that kind of time constrained uh, time period, you'll you'll do better or at least put something together where you are not overthinking or outthinking yourself. Okay, so enough of the past. Let's move on to this weekend here. And like I said, this is going to be mostly lineup review, uh, not talking a ton of strategy stuff like we have been the past few weeks. Um, so let's get to these two lineups. We'll see here. I'm going to go through mine and kind of why I did the things that I did. And then if I'm not running too long, which I don't think I will be, we'll take a look at some of the winning lineups this weekend. So week 17 here is kind of interesting because we had this massive slate. We had so many games. I forget how many it was, but it was a ton of games. But I kind of liked how things set up this week. So while I, you know, like as I was saying before, I generally enjoy and feel like I'm stronger at shorter slates or when there are less games to choose from. I did kind of like this main slate setup. So my main roster, I really wanted to build around Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was at New York Jets and I just really liked how the Bucks set up here to pretty much just run over the Jets. And so immediately early in the week, kind of my first look at games, I liked the combo of Brady and Rojo just to take all of those points. And again, this is something I've talked about before for playing small field attorneys. I really like the approach of Taking a running a quarterback and a running back from the same team, price considered does matter a little bit here. Um, but taking those two guys from the same team, if they're going to score four to six touchdowns, you'll just take all of them. And you know people are very worried about negative correlation and things like that. But especially if the running back's going to catch passes, you're in a really really good spot, and it's more positively correlated than people would think. Um, but you at least are giving yourself a really solid floor and ceiling in those matchups that just set up to be um, kind of, you know, it's almost a given that they score four or more touchdowns. Now that game ended up playing out really weirdly where uh, Brady had a last second comeback versus the Jets with, which, you know, I mean, (laughs) what, what more 2021, than than that right like it's it's just been that kind of year uh you know we never could have expected that would happen just against one of the league's worst defenses both on the ground and through the air um but so the way that i paired this here is not only did i play brady and ronald jones but i also paired antonio brown and brashad perryman 
Now, why am I stacking you know, four guys from the Tampa Bay side? Well, I really liked how Antonio Brown and Perriman set up to see a lot of the targets. Obviously, Gronk was the other main target. He was actually probably my favorite target in this patch catching crew, but because of his price, not, I mean, he was priced the same as Antonio Brown, only off, you know, and AB was 100 less. But I actually liked a different tight end, which I'll get to in a minute. And so I didn't feel the need to play Gronk here. I was like, if I can get the points from these other guys, then I'm in a good place. If the, you know, if Gronk doesn't catch eight catches for two touchdowns, then I'm good. So Brady, Ronald Jones, Antonio Brown, and Brashad Perryman. Now, y'all know where this broke. It broke in all places except for Tom Brady. Um, Ronald Jones, who I didn't like in a vacuum because I did have a few other running back plays that I liked this week around his price range. Uh, again, I, I was really only playing him because I knew if the touchdowns weren't going through Brady, they were going to be going through Rojo on the ground. And while I don't love Ronald Jones for all the reasons that we have talked about here at OWS, he just set up so well against this absolutely terrible run defense. I think, um, using Majestic's, um, workbook, I think he may have had the best, um, oh man, I'm, I'm blanking the net adjusted line yards for the weekend. And so that kind of swayed me. I was like, ah, I, I don't love him, but it sets up well in this pairing, this block, and he's, he's going to get touched. You know, if Brady is throws three and, they score five overall the other two are going to be coming through ronald jones almost assuredly so uh that didn't work out though ronald jones completely flopped like we all knew he could so that was hard to stomach but i i made the bet and i knew why i made it so i was okay with it i wasn't kicking myself over it and then yeah <laughs> the ab saga i'm not even going to spend any time on that that was, you know, obviously just a recipe for disaster there. Could all any of us seen that coming? No, um, but, you know, volatile, right? Uh, it also, side note, um, I had my, my brother's fantasy team was playing for the championship and we had Tom Brady and Antonio Brown. And I say we because I didn't play any redraft this year and I actually drafted his team for him uh, this year. He managed it. But uh, so, yeah, so that was pretty brutal because he got smashed and AB was a part of that. So that hurt. I actually really liked, if you guys listened to the first peak pod, I really liked uh, DK Metcalf a decent amount this week as a tournament play. And he was 400 more and I could have could not have fit him on this roster the way that things played out. So I couldn't kick myself after the fact. Um, but at 400 more, you know, kind of sucks to, to be on a player like him. And I really only did a B because he fit perfectly in this setup here with the price and everything. Uh, so, yeah. That hurt there. I was kind of I was more nervous than the general consensus about his ankle, especially when I knew he was going to be popular. I felt like he was definitely a good fade. And so if you did that, uh, yes, outcome kind of bared that out that you were right in doing that. 
although that was for a very ridiculous reason. But I do think that fading him was a very, very viable option this weekend. So if you did that and, you know, kind of wondering in your process if that was right, I, I do think that was a good call. Brashad Perryman, uh, he had a very, actually saw this via Adam Levitan's uh, snap count tweet after the fact. He had a really, really low snap count. So I don't know if that was a factor of still kind of coming off of COVID symptoms or I don't know. I didn't see any news on any other news around that, but probably even lucky to get two catches for 41 yards out of him. But otherwise at his price, he was kind of a locked in play for me. Uh, a guy who has a little bit of a deep threat who was going going to, in you know, air quotes, to get significant playing time with uh, Godwin and Evans out. All right, that was a lot of time spent on the Bucks. I did bring it back with Berrios, which um, I'm not even going to pretend to be super sharp here. I actually got pretty fortunate because I was looking to, uh, z- like, I was trying to pivot off of him to Zay Jones, for 200 more after I'd seen uh, his target shares recently and just kind of how he's had opportunity and hasn't hit. I actually really liked him. I'm pretty much always looking to potentially, you know, pivot or, or, or fade a receiver who is going to be 25 plus percent owned because it's just such a high variance position. And so you're almost always better off from long-term expected value going away from those guys, especially a guy like Berrios, who is he going to fail at 3,700? No, probably not, but he could very easily get you 12 points, 15 points, and you not be super excited about him. Um, So I, I kind of lucked into that actually having him on the roster, but it fit really well with the stack and it made sense. And even though the game did not play out at all, how we would have expected, he scored those touchdowns right away. Uh, that's who was on there. So that's the majority of my roster right there wrapped up in that game. And then the other positions were second running back position was Joe Mixon, who I loved this week. He was, I just felt like honestly, like the best running back play on the board. Obviously Jonathan Taylor was on this slate. So that's kind of hard to say, but everything considered, Price, perception, matchup, um, ownership. I thought Mixon was the best play, all of those things considered. He, I mean, he scored 15 points while kind of, quote unquote, completely failing. Uh, really was quite surprised at his role and output in that game against this, you know, really not great Kansas City run defense that has been, you know, just vulnerable. Uh, so that was kind of a surprise to me. He did get seven catches, which, you know, I was hoping for that would be a part of his game. Um, but to not see him getting the end zone at all was really surprising to me. I thought he had a really good shot for one or two. And then uh, Foster Moreau is who I played at tight end this week. I really liked Moreau. And also was part of the reason I was planning on or I liked the Zay Jones because 
to to get a cheap block of those two guys when I figured they would have to be passing the ball versus the solid Colts run defense. I uh, really like those guys kind of as a, uh, a sneaky-ish block to to just, yeah, to, to have a solid floor, really. I'm not looking for a ceiling game between those two guys or, in this case, just Foster Moreau. But people have kind of forgotten about him since that initial week when people were excited to roster him. As Jam has pointed, about, pointed out about Darren Waller, he was never a smash play <laughs> um, to begin with, Foster Moreau, that is. But... Indy's weakness has been the tight end. As I said, I they're a pass funnel defense. And so I thought if Moreau catches five balls for 50 yards and finds his way into the end zone, you're looking at a pretty good score. And then because my other favorite tight end was Gronk, uh, even if Gronk scores 20 points then and you get 15 out of Moreau, you're not being hurt because you saved 2,500 in salary. And then I played Alvin Kamara in my flex. He was a play that I came around to late with the Mark Ingram news. I just really like the way that he's set up here. He's one of those players where you get a guy who has a solid ceiling. And now we've talked about this at OWSJM is hit on this a lot. Kamara's ceiling is actually a little bit misunderstood. So he's not necessarily a guy who has this massive ceiling consistently like he's he's had some high scores but he doesn't do it often i just really liked him in this spot going highly overlooked by the field uh just this situation where i like to play a guy like him so camaro's in the flex and i also knew that playing camara and joe mixon in the same roster two guys that were in the 7k range for running backs was probably going to be um, differentiated from a build perspective. So I liked that as well. And then finally, to wrap up the roster was Dolphins defense. That one pretty straightforward. Just, you know, in a game versus Tennessee, that looked to be a slugfest and uh, was going to be kind of a messy game weather-wise and the just, you know, the aggressiveness that Miami has showed recently. Tannehill's taken some sacks. Uh, yeah, like that at 2,800. I wanted to potentially get up into the 3,000 range for some of those defenses that wouldn't be as played. But I like the Dolphins enough uh, with all these other to, to get this roster that I really liked. And that just did not work out whatsoever with a whopping zero points as they got trounced by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, This lineup scored a 111 and was good for a like bottom 20% basically, 20th percentile, somewhere around there, Uh, 15 percentile. So yeah, pretty brutal. Overall, lots of snowflakes. Ronald Jones, A.B., Brashad Perryman, Foster Moreau, and Dolphins all scored single digits and almost all scored under five points. So just absolutely brutal. Uh, Yeah, not great. And then even when you get pay-up guys like Joe Mixon and Kamara, who had 15.5 points and 21 points, respectively, that's not enough from those guys 
either when you're really hoping to get a ceiling game when you're paying that price. All right, that was roster one. I overall actually really like how this was built out. I felt really good about it going into the weekend. I was even, this was, I built these late Saturday nights and kind of settled on them. I was on a walk with my wife on Sunday, the wife and the dogs. And I even mentioned to her, um, I was like, I feel really solid about my lineups. Uh, but the what I expressed to her and the reason that I share this is because she knows that in the past I've had a lot of uh, times where, you know, we all do as DFFs players as saying, oh, I knew it or, oh, I should have played that guy. Like she's seen that whole progression uh, over the past few years. And so this was one of those times where I was just like, no, I feel really good. I know why I made the decisions I made. This is something that I've talked about in this podcast this year. And, you know, I've had questions on like, what do you do about FOMO? How do you make sure you're not building out of fear? That is the way. Know why you are placing your bets the way that you are and let it go. Let the chips fall where they may. And that's the best way. And for somebody that has had... DFS affect them quite a bit mentally and emotionally. Um, Like, again, many of us do because we're human, we're competitive. This is the thing that has helped me the most, hands down, far and away from everything else. I know why, and JM talks about this too, this is not anything new, uh, but I just really want to hit on it hard here to uh, really share the impact of it. And that's that's what it was. I knew exactly. I was like, I, I know where I'm placing my bets. I know why I'm placing them. And whatever happens, happens. And sure enough, I lost. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all fair. Uh, that's what happens. So, so that was lineup number one. And then I mentioned I had a secondary lineup that I liked with the state of the the slate just being so large. And so you'll notice that I have some core pieces that are the same on this roster, but I made a um, the, the stacking and the game is a little bit different. So I liked the ceiling of the Bucks and the floor that they brought me as well. And then the other game that I liked was the the KC Cincinnati game. I generally like to pay down for quarterback or pay lower for quarterback if I can, because a lot of times I just feel that it makes sense um, if they have the floor and ceiling and just kind of like betting on these higher price guys not hitting their ceiling game. But this week, I really liked the higher price guys, and that's how I wanted to play and build my rosters. And so I have a Patrick Mahomes, Darrell Williams, Tyreek Hill roster. I brought that back with Joe Mixon, who, like I said, I liked as a one-off this week, so I had had him slotted in there. And that was it. No Jamar Chase. So, so much for this roster. <laughs> um, uh, the the rest of the roster, I also had Perryman and Berrios in there as a skinny stack. And then I kept... Moreau at tight end in my flex. I had Elijah Mitchell, who was probably my one of my favorite plays for the weekend. 
And had I not come around to Camara late, Eli Mitchell would have been on all of my rosters. Because and I and if I didn't like these game stacks as much, like the Mahomes Williams or Brady Rojo thing, um, that was the thing I was kind of hard to swallow with the Rojo thing. I really liked it for the setup, but as a one-off player, I liked Mitchell way more, and the setup there. Um, I wasn't too worried about the injury. I was a little worried, but I knew that would, if anything, just keep his ownership down. And like Shanahan just loves this guy. And uh, yeah, in the matchup against the Houston defense in a game that San Fran needed to win, I just thought that they were going to run it down their throats. And yeah, sure enough, at 6,000, Eli Mitchell exactly 4X'd his price and scored 24. But that was it. Uh, I had the Dolphins D in there, so otherwise it was the same setup. But what I really liked about this was that it allowed me exposure to this other high ceiling stack and also you know stack that I thought had a solid floor in Mahomes, Williams, and Tyreek. And then I also got to play a different running back in Eli Mitchell, who I really liked in the flex. So, and then I still, like I said, I got to play that uh, cheap pairing of Perryman and Berrios from that Tampa Bay game. So I just really, really liked how these set up individually but also how they played together and how i was seeing the slate so this was a week where i did play two single entry lineups i really liked how they felt to me just like very much how my style is uh for smaller fields and the way that i like to build and just felt really really good and again same thing holds that i said for the previous roster as well i just felt really good about this and how it was built again for my style of play and with that i was excuse me felt very good about uh hitting the the send button and uh yeah just kind of hands off so those were my two lineups for the weekend uh, we are not doing this podcast live again this week. We're we're done with live audiences for the year, so I'm not fielding any questions today. But that's kind of it. That's what we got for this week. We are going into week 18. I am not sure how much I'm going to play. Generally, I avoid the week 17 or in the case now, week 18, uh, just because kind of similar to the COVID stuff, I don't enjoy expending energy on uh, trying to guess things and uh, dealing with more uncertainty. That's not to say I won't play at all, but it will likely be more just to have some skin in the game and for fun than serious play, uh, likely be pretty dialed back. And yeah, with that, I am not sure that I will be doing an Assessing Your Process podcast next week. I may hop on if there are some notable things or, um, you know, talking to people in discord or something like that, that, you know, seems like we can have a worthwhile discussion. Otherwise I will, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll call it a regular season. 
And, you know, just for those of you that have been hanging out, just know that uh, good for you for for sticking around and doing the thing. And I appreciate you spending time with me. I know that your energy in general and your life uh, is very valuable. And specifically as it pertains to DFS, you can be putting this energy into a lot of different spaces. So if you have been hanging out, just know that uh, I truly appreciate that. I'm grateful for your uh, quote unquote presence. And yeah, you know, we're, we're in this together. We're getting better together. It's the whole reason that we started this podcast. It was something that I was excited to do is just kind of, uh, be there with you. And, you know, we're all learning. We're all trying to get better. I am not an expert at this. Uh, I do have a promising history, um, but I'm bankroll building and, you know, kind of on the ground floor, like many of you as well. So yeah, thanks for hanging out. I would love to hear from you. If you got anything specific, uh, go ahead and shoot me a message in Discord at bfritz12. Otherwise, best of luck to you. And I hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend. See y'all later.